Hello, and welcome to another episode of Anime Countdown. I'm your host, LB, and joining me as always is CT. Hello. So the concept behind this week's subject is actually pretty easy. Any series can have a good first episode. It's not that hard to set up your story and characters in an appealing way. However, what you do with your audience's attention once that first episode is over, that's the tricky part. So in this episode, we are going to talk about our favorite second episodes ever. Uh, Before we start getting into things, I want to go ahead and just go over my criteria for how a choice made it onto my list. Uh, Basically, it had to have a moment or scene that stuck with me over the years, and it had to be a moment that really cemented how I felt about the series at the time. There's a couple of choices on my list that I've aged like milk, uh, but (laughs) at the time these episodes really, you know, cemented how I felt about them. So judging by our private conversations before we started recording, though, it seems that CT was a bit more rigid with his selection. So I'm going to turn things over to him and so that he can explain his choices and list off his honorable mentions in one swoop. I think you just came up with another uh, thing, though, because I I wouldn't have thought favorite moment as part of it uh i mean it probably does apply in a, in the number of things but i i feel like that could become a a different episode or simply favorite moments from all of animuness anyway I'll, I'll add it to our board and we'll talk about <laughs> it later our, our weird board i know you said that every anything can have a good first episode And of course, a lot of episode ones that really stick with you are ones which have, uh, you know, dramatic reveals and surprises and all sorts of stuff. And episode two brings you into the, uh, 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 brings you into the rest of it. Uh, So my problem was I was taking a lot of pains to try to avoid anything with a semblance of the reason I really like episode two is because of episode one. So that falls into multiple things. You can have the truly compelling episode one, which just means two is something I'm really hyped for because I need to know what happens next. You can have the episode ones where it's all set up, And then something happens and episode two is technically really episode one in a way. Uh, (laughs) It's, it's your new episode one. It's your, it's your second episode one. And I'm like, well, I don't want to really get that because the whole point is episode one was such a a huge setup thing that episode two becomes uh, that Uh, I was trying to avoid certain favorites where episode two is simply me really spooling into getting into the show so even though episode two of things like space brothers or chihaya furu or other shows hit me really well i'm like well it's just because they're some of my favorite shows so i don't simply want to pull an episode 
from there, whether it has a momentous scene or not, because it's my favorite show, unless, and we'll start with this because we've talked about it before, unless episode two is one of those things that specifically sold me the show lock, stock, and barrel. Uh, but that's the strength of the episode two, not the strength of the show making episode two have a lot more meaning to me. So that uh, going back a lot of episode twos uh, back in the, you know, the age of four to six episode OVAs, I'm like, you know what? That's a little bit too much emphasis on the entirety of the show. <laughs> so I was excluding <laughs> OVAs. Um <laughs> So there, there were a lot of things that was making me, the, the moment I thought about an episode two, I'm like, well, wait, why? Uh, if an episode two was too much just, well, I liked episode one, and episode two was just more episode one and brings in a new character. I'm like, well, even that still feels like it's just general enjoyment of the show. So I'm, I'm busy trying to make sure that my episode two isn't, just a springboard or highlighted for non-episode two reasons. I'm not entirely sure if I've made it through it. You, uh, depending on what you have familiarity with, you can uh, you can comment on them or not. But uh, so yeah, I'm busy, you know, rattling off a bunch of things and then disqualifying them. And so it, uh, and then there are the, that last one there, which is just like, well, I really like episode, I like the show, I like episode one, episode two was more and better. And I'm like, but it has to be notably different and better in a different way than just more of the show that I want to watch. So it, it was starting to piss me off <laughs> in a way. Uh, I, I settled around something in the end, but I guess while we're talking about, you know, some of the honorable mentions, I'll, th that'll highlight what, uh, you know, what I was referring to in this uh, spiel here. So let's, let's start with your honorable mentions in this case. All right. Uh, so my honorable mentions, you mentioned all various categories, and I'll admit up front that some of my choices do fit into those categories and are some of the reasons why I chose to put them on my list. So, you know, different philosophies. Right. Uh, I have four honorable mentions. The first two I want to mention, the first one is Assassination Classroom. The first episode does a really good job with introducing the characters, but what I really liked about episode two is that it really showed what kind of characters these people are going to be. Uh, in particular, it really, it was the first time that Kuro-sensei gives out advice to one of his students and the first time we see one of their origin stories. Uh, so, you know, that was really special and that's the reason why it made it onto my honorable mentions. Uh, Skip Beat is another one that fits into the category of the first episode was mostly set up and the second episode is your brand new episode one. Uh, Kyoko's entrance into show business, however, is still one of the funniest freaking things 
I've seen in anime. I absolutely love what she goes through to get her audition to even join the agency. So that one was special. The last two I want to mention, not because they are particularly special, but mostly because, again, they had significant moments. The first one would be the 2006 version of Fate Stay Night, because in the second episode, that is the very first time Saber became an anime character. Uh, and then the second one is Sword Art Online, which, again, because in the second episode, Asuna becomes an anime character <laughs> for the first time. And I, I was it, wondering whether to give a slot to it. Okay, which one is it where episode two is uh, the introduction of Best Girl, so therefore <laughs> <laughs> the show is made by this character? So yeah, so those are my honorable mentions, you know, like I said, the first two are because they had some great moments in them, and the second two are just because they had significant characters making their debuts, which I felt deserved, you know, a moment of recognition, so those are mine. What are your honorable mentions? Uh, I figured I'd, you know, a bunch of these, I could probably rattle out a lot more, but... uh. So, for instance, in in the things where you have that truly striking setup, uh, episode one, you have modern things like Erased, which more people are familiar with, where you get introduced to the characters and you get introduced to the situation and then excitement happens. And then just the bottom drops out at the end of episode one. And you're stuck in a in a place where you wouldn't have expected going in. Uh, of course, you have your. I figure isekais are very much like this because episode ones are usually where, you know, you they get to the other place. So we watched Escaflona. I'll just mention that again. And obviously, <laughs> the very end of it, you don't know what this is going to be. It, it just kind of feels like a a. <laughs> a normie, uh, uh, you know, school drama thing. And then there's dragon fighting at the end. And so episode two is all uh, uh, figuring out, you know, the world uh, in Ray Earth. Uh, you have that same sort of thing where it, it's basically, you know, the introduction of the characters. How do we, how do they meet? How do they get to where they're going? Uh, you have the, shows like Magical Shopping District Abenobashi, which feels just kind of like a weird, maybe this'll be a rom-com, maybe this'll just be a weird slice of lifey kind of thing. And then, yeah, the the end of it is, you know, oh wait, no, episode two and on is just straight up insanity. Uh, so it, it completely flips genre uh, on you, in fact. Uh, or something like cross game where you go in having a particular expectation and then you get reveals and drama and episode two is after, you know, years of time skip. And uh, so second episode one. So things like that, uh, uh, you know, school live. I was, <laughs> you, you finally get to know the reality of what's going on. And, uh, so it's very interesting from there, but it's driven by the power of episode one. I think 
uh, for me, the, the most specific episode two honorable mention, though, is the melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya, and specifically by that, I mean broadcast order. And I know you haven't really watched, but I assume you know the reputation and all of the things where it's like, well, broadcast order was entirely different than chronological episode order was different than order in which they were put together on DVD. Uh, but that was one of those where uh, uh, episode one is chronologically like the second to last. And it's in such a weird form because you're watching this thing and you're like, it's just a weird student film. And you're like, what the hell is this show? And you have <laughs> no idea. Uh, but there are a bunch of reveals in there that will be the fact that you take that one in now will be interesting while you're watching the rest of the show. So I, I think I'm still a, a very much a broadcast order devoutist for that. Show. So if we get back to it at some point for Expanding Horizons, be, be prepared. But episode two is technically, you know, the chronological, the regular episode one, the novel's first chapters. So, so therefore, but it's, it's not flipping you on style uh, or, or full things. You're not completely thrown out of it like with Obenobashi. You're just wondering why was that episode one because in episode two, you're meeting the people who are obviously all doing that student film later. So you're, you're, you just have an introduction, which is a weird, a weird time skip for you, but doesn't connect to the plot specifically, <laughs> but there's plotting in it. I think it's, I think it's hilarious overall, but, uh, so that, that, but that's why I am not making it a pick, but feel it's worthy of uh, of a mention because, uh, especially because, a lot of people don't go by broadcast order. So you know, it's just weird town, man. And I. <laughs> so all right, let's get into our main lists. Uh, we went ahead. We started with me for honorable mentions. We'll start with you for main lists. What is your first choice? How dare me? Um, okay. Like I said, this one, th this one is one that makes my list because it's, it's what sold me on the show. It sold me on proselytizing the show at the time uh, to everyone around, basically. Everyone who I thought might have an interest in a in a music show, in uh, uh, anime in general, but, uh, and we do, I think we largely discussed this in the 2014 cast, but uh, it would be Your Lie in April. Uh, the episode one of the show, it, it, you know, it introduces you, it gives you a taste of that. I mean, you can see by the conveyance of uh, Kosei that, He's got stuff going on, and you get a quick flashback to, you know, what he's carrying from the uh, trauma his mother induced. Uh, you get the introduction of Kaori, of course, and uh, the the 
cute little melodica thing. So you're you're pulling the gang together and you're pulling certain elements together. But episode two is where it starts to sit in. You get the contrast between Kosei and Cody's approaches for competition. For him, it's now a source of uh, trauma and reservation. Um, for her, the episode two begins with her going to the prelims and not really caring. She's like, ah, I'm number four. I can show up anytime. Uh, so she's not really caring. The rest of them are there. But once they get into it, you know, you, you see the heightened uh, uh, problems that, <laughs> that Kosei is bringing in. But it also brings you into the, the competition environment. And this is specifically for people who were in band, who went to concert halls a lot. Uh, when it opens up into it, me personally, I'm brought back to high school days and other things where this was a thing. I was not really competing, but I did have uh, tryouts uh, in in certain ways. So that a competition environment was not there, but a band auditorium uh, hall kind of experience was. But uh, you get to see through... Kosei that, you know, his reservations to begin with, but once he starts um, being there and watching some of the competitors, uh, you see him getting into it and you see, you, you get other elements from the characters because Tsubaki, by watching him, watching the competitors and him empathizing with them and saying, come on, guy, you got it me mentally. Uh, his hands tapping or his toes tapping he's getting into the music and of course she has been caring about him and wanting him to recover that part of himself as well so you start to see their relationship but everything is cemented of course uh for Cowdy's performance and that that's of course you know i i immediately went out to go find, uh, uh, you know, YouTube videos of it and pass it around and saying, just listen to this. And if that's interesting to you, go here. <laughs> I pass it to, to my mom, to my friend in California, to, uh, to things like that. So it was literally her performance uh, here. And, and not just that, I, the performance was cemented in the end by... By not the conveyance of the performance was of course great. You had the characters, uh, the the other competitors in the prelims, who were playing other parts of the Kreutzer, which you don't get to hear uh, in Cowdy's performance, which is interesting. They're playing other parts of the song because they're not going to do. I forget. It's like an eight minute piece. They're not. <laughs> they're not going to do the whole thing. They emphasize the the right way for her performance. You get the everything conveyed that you know her concern is will they hear my music uh her approach is uh one of almost shock value to it uh you get to hear a, a different tonality to the violin playing especially when it uh lays into the stronger pieces uh you get to see the that 
annoying head judge who liked some other kid because, you know, oh, he was playing fine and was infuriated at her. And you get to root against the asshole head judge and uh, root for the one who is getting bored, who's suddenly interested now. <laughs> so the performance itself leaves an impact, but specifically right after that, when, you know, she comes out to to greet them and asks uh, Kosei how she did, and he's just trying to say an embarrassed line, eh, okay, it was okay, but notices that her hands are trembling. She is really wanting... Not wanting validation necessarily, but valuing an authentic opinion, and he lays it out there. And uh, so, what he says there about the girls who went, who were so inspired by her performance that they immediately went out to buy flowers to give to her, it was that kind of performance and her acceptance of that that I think settled the entire tone of the show it's not going to encompass all of it and i think when we talked about the show i thought it would be would have been better condensed a bit more but uh but for the most part that that sold me on the way that they're going to convey it and more specifically that this isn't going to be just something about music with music in it and okay fine there's music in it but rather the music is going to be a standout highlight of the show uh, which which it would continue to be, <laughs> uh, at least over any other show by and large, uh, with with the exception, you know, for me of Hibike Euphonium in certain parts. Uh, it, I don't, I don't think you can get better through uh, an anime in general. Even uh, even Odame Cantabile, it has a lot more music in total, but. It doesn't have, you know, the the feeling and the embrace of the characters in with music, and I think all of that is established specifically with episode two, and that's why that one uh, ends up being that. That is my number one, number two in general, but I let off the list with it because we have discussed it before. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't have anything to add to that you covered that pretty you know well so <laughs> i will say one one thing before i rattle off my first one is that i think that this is going to be the first one of these countdowns in quite a while where we're not going to have any overlap so i think that's kind of interesting it, it might be, well, I guess it'll depend. It, it might be, uh, I leaned into one of our Expanding Horizon suggestions, in fact, one that you did for a, for a later pickup. So we'll, we'll see if that, uh, we'll see if that lands in the end. Okay. So, all right, getting into my first pick. My first pick, this actually was the series that inspired this whole episode concept i re-watched it and i realized you know what hey this second episode was pretty good we should make a show about this uh and that would be please teacher okay 
So Please Teacher is one of those shows where the first episode is mostly setting up the concept behind the series, but the second episode is where things really start to take shape. Uh, and, and this is the episode where they the main characters officially get together, uh, establishing, establishing themselves in a relationship early on, which, you know, that's not something that happened a lot back then. That's still not something that happens a lot to this day. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's one of the reasons why I really enjoyed it. Please, teacher, by the way, if you haven't watched it, you probably should. It's still... Hold, still holds up as one of the real as a really good sci-fi romantic comedy i really enjoyed how the second episode got the audience a little more invested in the characters i like that they had those deep conversations early on explaining you know who the characters are what their history is you know and it gives them a reason to bond with each other because they're sharing each other's secrets really early on uh and then when those secret the when k the male lead reveals his big secret that you know he's actually 18 years old because he lost what like two or three years i want to say to an illness uh and that it's in, so that it's entirely possible for him to be married to his teacher hence the premise of the series it has a lot more impact and you can tell right there that um the female oh, uh, miss kazumi Mizuho Kazumi. I was blanking on her name for a second, which mm -hmm. was really going to bother me. Anyways, uh, but when Mizuho, you know, sees him reveal his big secret to the principal of the school to keep her from losing her job at the school, you know, that has a massive impact on her going forward throughout the entire rest of the series. So that's what I meant when I said, you know, a scene or a moment that really sticks with me and make, it leaves a lasting impression, a lasting favorable impression on the entire series uh, go going forward. This was a really impactful episode uh that still like i said has stuck with me even though i first saw this series god what almost 20 years ago and it still sticks with me to this day so yeah definitely uh one of those really good impactful emotional moments that sets the series on the right course for the rest of the way I know that uh, you you are very high on the Onagai, uh, <laughs> not just that one, but I believe the uh, the spinoffs of it. There are, there yeah. are a couple of those. Uh, I admit that coming to it from the far end, I've largely been avoiding it due to the, you know, it's it's not detailed, but it's the uh, the overall premise of you know twenties teacher and uh basically middle schooler barely high schooler even though yes they're 
there is this thing where, uh, oh, I, I lost three years due to a coma and a weird situation. It, it, it has, it feels like the kind of thing that will not have aged terribly well. I'm wondering how much, and it'll be an interesting experiment at some point, I'm sure, because I'm wondering how much for you was, you know, immediately picking it up and how much for me would be, you know, coming at it 18 years after it was ever broadcast or, or whatever it is. Uh, and, uh, and trying to sort through something that has no, you know, well, of it, of its time, <laughs> uh, stipulations to it and, and no, having watched it right away and having, uh, pre-existing appreciation for it because it feels like the kind of thing you you know how the that element from uh, uh which you didn't really you <laughs> think yeah, about too much and yeah. to me it's like what the hell is going on here <laughs> i'm the uh, on a guy teacher does not seem like the kind of uh thing where where that will be the same and yet so we'll uh yeah we'll to have to fair, test it at least up to episode two yep to be fair um please twins is yeah you know mildly better than please teacher it's a little more popular as well and it doesn't have it has problematic elements it does have a badly timed blowjob joke but <laughs> It's still, you know, a good series. Plus, it had. Plus, there was the other spinoff, Waiting in the Summer, which came a few years later, which was basically Please Teacher Light. Mm. Good art, though, and uh, and a hot teacher. So, what more <laughs> can you ask for? Indeed. Okay. Uh. Now this one, I don't think it'll matter too much, but I, I do have to ask you, you've, you put me in a mood when certain things were brought up and you said you were going to uh, watch this with the, with the missus, and I guess I have to ask if you have gotten around to watching Super Dimensional Fortress Macross yet. I have not, not yet. I will, okay. though. It, well, it is in the queue. It's in the queue. Um, I guess hearing this beforehand might, you know, lead... there, there are minor spoilers in what's going on, but I'm not sure how much of the basic setup of Macross can actually be spoiled for anyone who's been in the community as long as you have. Uh, but this, this was something I was trying to pull from a show, you know, early on. And I'm like, okay, well, what what is there and way back in the day was there anything about uh rama or yawara or uh things where the episode two was particularly striking for me and i i couldn't settle on anything but because macross had been on the forefront of my mind i was considering it and i sort of cycled through okay what happened in episode one what happened in episode two 
Uh, episode one has some, you know, it's a basic setup. It has some reveals of the enemy coming in. It has some truly impressive, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, laser beams pew pew. Because uh, the the main canon of it fires, uh, the the whole episode title is called Booby Trap, and uh, we get to see you know the the basic setup and the power of the uh, SDF one that they've been working and and that there's still weird stuff that they don't understand at all about it. Uh, but you know, I've watched Star Blazers. I know what that stuff's all about. <laughs> Technically, all of this would have been consumed by me through Robotech first, so we can uh, we can assume that it's it's technically in Robotech form, but there's really not anything much different at this point. At the very end, you you get your you know you establish your main character, Rick Hunter or Hikaru Ichijo, Hikaru Ichijo, who's um, brought accidentally into combat because he's just sort of lounging around. So you get the reveal of the uh, fighter plane that he has to uh, assist with, but he's just kind of flying around, and he gets battered around, and then he's going to crash land. And uh, this, of course, is episode one iconic stuff, but uh, right at the end, he's told to change mode and what happens is you you get the reveal of the uh of what the veritex are transformable jet aircraft because he transforms and he goes into the gearwalk mode the the midway mode um and crashes amusingly uh, through a number of buildings including all of the studios involved in the production here because studio new a and Artland are utterly wiped out by uh, by, by him as he's crash landing. Uh, so you get that reveal at the very end of episode one, which makes for a rather iconic end of episode one. But what episode two does is it makes it it brings you in to a ground level and a different kind of position in general. In in Star Blazers, after you're set up, or, you know, Space Battleship Yamato, you immediately start the space exploration. It kind of quickly turns to a, a Yoma the day or something Voltron-like, uh, where the, the people are all there, but there's this threat of the day that's coming after them, and then they beat it and go and tomorrow next episode there will be a different threat going on episode two of this after you know the earth is getting attacked by space aliens and we've revealed the the most iconic mecha in existence basically and the 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 awesomeness that is a transformable jet plane for for anyone episode two you get half the episode is he doesn't know what's going on. Min Mei is in a building, and he has to ask her, "What? what it, what's below me? <laughs> he's talking with a character because he's utterly confused. He, he finds out that his plane has turned into a robot. Uh, he tries to control it, and of course, with no training, he's stumbling around. 
the neighbors use a few pickups and tow cables to try to pull him upright off a building that he stumbled on, and he stumbles backwards into something else. And uh, there's a lot of almost weirdly slice, half slice of life humor that the episode begins with, and then it moves into a bit more ground level war stuff because uh, his friend Roy Fokker comes down uh, to assist him. He, he finally, someone comes to help him and figure out what goes on and helps him transform into another mode so they can move around except the uh, the baddies have started to get into the city at the ground level with them, so they have to go back and try to help people. Uh, and he goes to help, uh, uh, finds Minmay again, so we have our other character who's a complete civilian. He's, he's a civilian drawn in, but a pilot. She's a full civilian. Uh, they're being protected by, you know, the actual soldier boy, and it turns into a chase scene, uh, flying around. He has her held in his arm, and it gets blown off by something. And you get a really iconic scene, which you may have even seen in presented in something where uh, Minmay is now free falling, and he has to go chase her, and opens the cockpit and grabs her hand and pulls her into the plane. And in fact, while the cockpit's closing, he's almost sucked out of the plane, manages to pull up just in time. Uh, and then he's forced to make his first kill in the end to protect the both of them, which reveals the nature of these and trady to it. So it is, in, for me, episode two is an establishment of a much different tone than I would have expected from something like this. Uh, you know, Gundam has a different feel, uh, Voltron, uh, Star Blazers, other things of its type, I feel, had a, had a much different kind of presentation and expectation, and in a way, there is a bit of weird soap opera-iness that was intruding. Uh, the involvement of the people was stretched out because you already had uh, civilians in it. They, it. It just felt like a much different kind of thing for its time. Uh, and that was, that was something, you know, again, it was Robotech for me at the time, and I was pulled in by the episodes, but later on more by the novels. But I think episode two does a great job of cementing everything about the show and about the IP in general that I think people find appealing. Uh, in the in the end, it's more you know your your idle space warfare with alien weirdness. But I I think the lens through which you enter. Macross is uh, is particularly good in this case for uh, for the original series. So that'll that's that's my that's my number two number two. I like I said haven't watched Macross yet. It's in my list. It's a show that I'm now realizing that you know what I need to watch this at the very least and you know cross it off my list mm -hmm. uh i just haven't yet uh, but 
like I said, it's in the queue. It's going to happen. Okay. And now I ruined it for you. <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll maybe have to uh, find out whether or not talking about this here changed it. it would have changed anything or does change anything about when you actually uh, pick them up. So. So, alright. So, for my second pick, I am going to choose another series that falls into the category of episode two is basically your second episode one. Um, the reason why it's getting on my list, however, is similar to what you were just talking about with Macross, with how the second episode sets the real tone of the series. The first episode for this one introduces its very large cast of characters, but the second episode is where the main story and the real tone of the series takes off, and that would be Bacchano. Okay. I would <laughs> amusingly I had started and I was considering whether or not do da 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 was there, but so the moment you said very large cast of characters, the openings for both do da 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 and Bacchano always come to mind and I'm like, I you must be talking about Bacchano. So yeah, so Bacchano is just one of those shows. If we ever do the most confusing anime hmm. podcast this will be talked about again. Um, but the second episode of Bacchano does such a great job of setting up the real tone of the series. Because the first episode, like I said, you're in, you're meeting all the characters, you're getting a feel for what their personalities are like. And then it's the second episode where would they get thrown onto this train and the real plot begins and that i think is really special and it does such a great job with taking the light tone of the first episode which is kind of dominated by the man talking to the little girl about trying to figure out who the main character of the following story is to the train where the tone is much darker, it is much more violent, it is very violent. <laughs> um, so yeah, so setting up the new tone episode two with these characters that we just met in episode one just really cemented for me how much I was going to enjoy this show, no matter how confusing I was finding it at the time. Um but that's a discussion for another podcast. <laughs> uh, go ahead. Yes. No, you, you did. Uh, of course we were going to settle in there. I forget why we spun on that and what we had moved to at the time. So I'd watched episode one, uh, but hadn't gotten further. So, uh, cause I was going to try to get, some other folks into it at the same time but uh i was uh, interested to see how much uh, of the like princess bride sort of storytelling was going to intrude the whole time uh because that seemed to be fairly prominent in episode one i can uh, i can see the overall impact of it and and definitely the uh the the weirdness starts to set in right away but it it 
feels like it'll cement itself in with the uh with number two and going on yeah episode two like i mentioned that's where the story really starts to take shape uh and where the situ the main situation of the series gets introduced so you know i think that's a really good motivator once you get to episode two and you see the real tone of the series i think you'll be hooked gotcha so uh for me the next one and this is one of course that i have to fight myself whether or not you know that does this satisfy my qualifiers is it because it's one of my favorite shows uh it's a semi-cheat in a few ways, but I, I think it is striking on its own. And that's because episode one is double length, so technically you could almost count episode two as uh, uh, episode three, <laughs> if you were to <laughs> split the double length into two. Uh, and episode two, I've, I've mentioned this before when talking about the show, episode two is where my interest really sank in. I was interested in the characters, you know, revealed, and, and the starting point is basically in the 80s, uh, and you're working with a, a guy who just gets out of prison and uh, has an interest in something and seeks out a mentor one of the uh only masters left in the art of rakugo uh so all of episode one deals with him trying to become accepted learning some stuff you get a full rakugo performance and you get two full rakugo performances in it you see the differences between them some drama happens at the end and the very end is basically him saying, if you really want to understand, I need to tell you about the promise, but, you know, made between me and uh, Sukiroku, who at that point, you know, is the, the father of one of the characters, but died years ago. So you know that there's a, a whole huge story. And episode two picks up with the old man when he was a young kid in the 1930s. So pre-war, uh, pre-World War II Japan, uh, becoming a, uh, uh, you know, basically be becoming a, uh, uh, God, my brain is dying right now. <laughs> Looking <laughs> to the uh, previous master Yakimo to become his mentor to train him in the art because he's a uh, son of a geisha and uh, has some people vouching for him but there's not much he can do because he's kind of uh, you know lame-footed and walks with a cane at least at the time so there's a, a limit to what he'd be able to do and this is one of those things couldn't become a dancer think other things in the arts he had an interest in so in this case doesn't know anything about rakugo and and joins but the fur you get the introduction of the other character shinsan or uh, sukidoku who uh enters kind of like 
uh, you know, one of those faded meetings where someone yells and then kind of is leaping into the frame. So this could be Nizakoi, this could be any other thing, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> join, joins in. And so you get the whole, you know, instant bond between these two, even though uh, it'll take a while to spool out. But episode two is their apprenticeship. Uh, and in fact, the years move very quick. You get a bunch of them as kids, and then it fast forwards a number of years to where they're effectively journeymen, and you get to see more performances. So you, you've seen wizened old uh, uh, Yakumo, the, the eighth master of his craft, doing something in episode one, and now you see basically the first quote-unquote, professional performance of him when he's an aspiring uh, uh, journeyman Kikuhiko, and you, you... So you get to, you know, cross-compare, and it's the same voice actor, of course, so you're trying to see how he's conveying a, a you know, teens version of the same character versus a 60-year-old or whatever version of the same uh, character so you uh, for when they were kids or different voice actors but it it quickly goes in the course of episode two from them as kids to them as young adults and going from there so you you end with seeing uh the reveal of the the other main character the one who you know is gone from the future timeline but is the inspiration for our main character brought in it it wraps everything together but number number two you know that that's why i'm like this is sort of it, it doesn't feel like an episode one enough for me to disallow it it is technically when you're going back in time you're doing a reverse time skip you're showing the very beginning of the main character but you need the foundation from episode one for for you to get really drawn into number two and number two is going to continue the 30s and then the wartime years for the rest of the whole season so number two is uh your lens into the a time period that usually doesn't get much coverage especially for something that isn't specifically about the war specifically about uh hiroshima which is very common this is a you know, complete slice of life, uh, romantic drama thing. So for me, the, the other reason this is so compelling is it's a different time period and a different type of work in it that you really don't get to see much from the civilian side of, of all of that. And it's about, you know, in the same way that Karata is such an intrinsically japanese thing that i find very compelling that this is what cements just trying to figure out rakugo because from my modern uh gaijin perspective it just feels really weird still uh but you're you're now getting two more performances at least in fact you get Tsukuroku as a kid and then you get uh, Kikuhiko and Sukidoku as their journeyman status. So you get three new performances in a even shorter episode. Uh, 
so that you have a whole series of them and you're you're trying to now you're trying to see okay what do i get out of these which one of them were the same performances that i got to see two different ways which one um you know how does it feel incomplete uh does it feel impassioned uh, does it just feel a little weird? It's still it's still such a weird thing from my perspective that uh, I'm dr I'm pushing myself into it because I really want to get drawn into the art form in general and figure it out. And uh, and number two is basically the foundation of uh, uh, you know all of the compulsion of season one starts with episode two. That's one of those where episode two for me is, uh, it's not the reason that I wanted to watch the show, but I, I do think that it uh, intensifies and alters what you were getting out of episode one in a way that I think drives season one uh, all the harder. So for my number three, I am going to go with I warned you all earlier that okay. one of my choices has not aged well. It is aged like milk. It is not a good series. But despite that, the second episode has a scene in it that still makes me laugh to this day. Not much else about this series makes me laugh anymore, but this scene sticks with me uh and that would be from the series oremo mm -hmm. so the, let me set this up for everybody basically the first episode feature features Karino, you know and her secret be of being an otaku with a little sister fetish uh gets discovered by her brother you know, they share this secret. He agrees to, you know, be her sounding board so that she has someone to vent this to. Um, in the second episode, he encourages her to go online and make some new friends, which, by the way, you know, a, a quick aside, I think it's really weird that this idea never once occurred to her <laughs> on her own. But well, the I, internet was boring in, in 20, 2009 or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> Not much there. Yeah, but anyways, so she goes, she joins an online community. She goes to one of their meetups. You know, she's not able to make any friends. But afterwards, a couple of the members, you know, find her and ask and invite her out for you know some fast food to get to know each other on a more personal basis and she goes and in the middle of this scene and this is the reason why i got added to my list mm -hmm. she gets into an intense heated argument with a gothic lolita about a certain about their favorite series and they are just going on and on and on and they're getting louder and they're getting more passionate in this very public place and at one point the the brother character kiyosuke tries to diffuse the situation by saying hey it's only anime <laughs> and that 
is the catalyst for an even bigger explosion. And that situation right there, I think if you've been in the community long enough, you've been in that situation and you have been in that air in that mental state and you've possibly even heard someone say that exact thing to you thinking that that was a good thing to say in this situation and even still to this day that scene just makes me laugh so i admit yes the series is not good it is not aged well but this second episode is just punctuated by that scene and it has stuck with me for many years afterwards i can see that and uh indeed that that you know is kind of uh uh, defense of our community (laughs) (laughs) it it feels like uh that's an important thing to highlight on any list I, w- I was not aware there were still Remo novels going through 2021. Maybe that was just one at the end, but the, the wiki seems to say February 2021 <laughs> is the end of the original run. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, I actually thought that the series had ended by now. Yeah, well, I, I assume possibly. It's not giving me a, a list all of them. I assume that possibly it's one of those things where it ended and then it had you know a decade worth of nothing and then one more thing thrown on just for the heck of it would be by Uh us but i'm probably not gonna look into it yeah i wouldn't suggest it i will however mention that saudi's best girl so (laughs) well yeah that's just natural got so many scale figures how could she not be (laughs) i mentioned that one of my picks i decided that this was the one that where you know i was trying to figure out something at the end and i'm like i i haven't thought of a fifth uh i did decide to pull one of our eh choices and uh, in this case your selection so i'm curious if you know which one i would pick uh i had been trying to figure out you know okay what what's one that has sort of a uh uh like a, a romance that has a setup that makes me go oh okay i i enjoy episode this episode it's setting up something it's cemented these two characters uh in a way that that's pretty well and uh unfortunately uh ore monogatari is not an episode two or that's an episode three or so yeah if we make a series out of picking episodes episode three will definitely overlap my love story with that uh but so i was looking for something else i'm like what other one has done anything like that and there are some where your setup is from episode one because it's the foundation there there weren't any i could really think of but when i was reviewing a bunch of stuff i just decided that you know the the progression of episode one of maoyu was 
interesting. Certainly, it very quickly went into a unexpected direction because our hero goes to confront the Demon King, who's a buxom redhead, uh, <laughs> and then she decides, you know, we should we should be together and save the world. Uh, and so episode two is going to set the tone. So in a way, it's kind of like your your real episode one, but it doesn't it doesn't feel like that enough to me. And there are other elements of it that I think just make it interesting. It starts, you know, where they're going to a town and talking about uh, uh, field crop rotation, and then they spend just sort of a sweet evening with each other. Oh my god, what is wrong with you? Sorry about that. Apparently. Is someone launching a missile at your house? I just have my smartphone alarm. I thought I closed it before. It must have repeated the timer from two hours ago or something dumb like that. But okay. uh, So if this if this podcast goes for another two hours, it may go off again. Okay. I, I, I hope we probably won't get there. Uh, <laughs> but they're, they're spending sort of their first evening together in this place that uh, she's set up, that a lap pillow is involved. And I'm like, well, that's, you know, a, a sweet little romantic thing. You, you get the almost kiss, which doesn't happen uh, but then it turns into okay. Here are some other civilians around, and you're you're getting the the maid staff and the other stuff involved. And then the end of the episode is all okay, considering neighboring nations and economic things and other stuff. So it really just brings you into the overall tone and oddness of the series because you didn't really know what you were getting into from the first episode either except that it was immediately spinning what you know you you would usually think from a big fantasy bash out uh but then episode two just kind of settles you down to earth and you're learning all about uh, these things again when when we talked about it on the cast i'm not sure how i would have approached it if I hadn't taken in Spice and Wolf and, and love that already because there are elements of this that just make me go, mmm, Spice and Wolf. And I was trying, I was <laughs> looking at Spice and Wolf first to see whether or not there is anything strongly in particular about episode two and, and not, not really, not, not in that it highlights episode two, but this episode two kind of highlights the relationship with the two of them, you're not going to get a necessarily a, a will they won't they uh, or or just being embarrassed around each other for 10 episodes and share a, a chaste kiss at the end. You, you don't get much, uh, excuse me, you don't get much happening between the two of them, but they feel like they have immediately fallen into a relationship and you don't really have to worry about it you'll just have some fun with it uh but when you get into you know it's a it's about education and uh, uh you know obviously uh, economic concerns and trade concerns and other stuff you're the whole progress of episode two is cementing an entirely different 
kind of show that makes you wonder because in in episode one they're like you know lead me to this uh next horizon where basically we're not having these huge wars between each other all the time and so a lot of times that takes the well we have to go on an epic adventure and destroy this threatening thing and in this one it's like let's figure out how to improve the lives of everyone uh so i i think episode two was the the sort of thing where you know it, it cemented me into finding Mao a particularly interesting series and uh definitely not what you know the cover image or my uh expectation was going in and a much more unique kind of show so I was actually considering putting Malu on my list, but then I thought about it some more, and I just realized that there were other series that had more memorable or impactful second episodes, so I took it off, but yeah, there's, there's I, I was a, considering it. It's not a moment, I don't think, unless you really like lap pillows. <laughs> but uh i i think the the real moment from the early episodes is the uh hero dakimakura in episode one so if, if that was in episode two that would be the moment yeah it totally <laughs> would have been <laughs> gotta practice so i right, uh so for my number four series i am jumping back in time i am jumping to a series that is on my annual wish list for series that I want to see get licensed rescued. Uh, and that would be Petite Princess Yushi. Okay. So Yushi, the first episode, this is another series where the first episode basically sets up the story. It sets up the characters. It, set, it sets up the world. You know, the first episode does a really good job of establishing that. The reason why episode two is so impactful, though, is because it introduces possibly the best character in the series, which, be, which would be the princess of the demon world, Glenda, uh, who proves to be Yushi's main primary rival throughout the entire run of the series. And the introduction of Glenda and the antics that they go through in the second episode that establishes just how much they dislike each other at first is just so cute and so funny. It's really well done. Um, it establishes Glenda's per uh, do whatever it takes, no matter the cost personality really well uh without pushing her too far over the limit because it is a series aimed at a younger audience it does a really good job of introducing her and setting up the rivalry that's going to drive the series forward for the next you know 24 episodes i have uh short of knowing the name i i have uh Nothing I can really say about it because I have no familiarity with this. Yeah, this is one of those shows where I may just send it to you off eBay some year for <laughs> the holidays because uh, okay. 
this is a this is definitely one of those shows that you'll appreciate having in your collection. Hmm. Wiki says that it's licensed by ADV's successor, Aesir Holdings. Distribution from Section Twenty Three. So Sentai hasn't done like they haven't actually dropped a uh, a modern thing, or is it that the wiki is just way too old? Uh, I think the wiki is old. Either that, or they have been holding on to the license secretly for years and not doing anything with it, because I don't remember the last time this series got a physical release. As far as I was aware, it's entirely and completely OOP. Yeah, so... I mean, the last news was in 2009, but uh, the one probably just assumes that that was the last time anyone bothered updating the page. <laughs> yeah, that's more than likely the <laughs> how it is. Poor thing. Someone will license it again. You should write a letter to Discotech, the company that rescues everything. I put it on my annual Dear Santa wish list every single year and so far no one has answered well, my they're, prayers they're, they're waiting for a second person to put it on their dear santa wish list sister yeah. princess gets picked up by discotech and yushi just sits there withering on the vines it's the world is unfair the world is definitely unfair but i'm not sure <laughs> that you see is the reason why the world is unfair. I I have almost never heard anyone mention it, so uh, it it feels like something that uh, has definitely fallen through the cracks in the past nearly two decades. Again, maybe we need to do uh, like least known, most important. Uh, early 2000s uh, disappeared series. It, it feels like the very beginning of, uh, of this decade is where there's a bunch of stuff that just kind of happened, but we hit a point at which it fell through and it didn't quite make it to the DVD age or barely made it, but no, at that point no one cared and so the license is gone and no one's thinking about it. I... I feel like of 90s things, there's a lot more active interest or active disinterest. As in, yes, we remember these things exist. No one cares. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, early 2000s feels like the right, uh, the right gap in all of these things to get certain stuff that is like, oh my god, that's right, that existed. Where did it go? <laughs> Uh, my last pick is probably something that I left it for last because I feel like it's the the one that if you ask this to other people right now, they might actually pick. It might come first and foremost to mind because it was a very recent series and episode two was very specifically the point at which people like were like oh because it was an anime original and no one had any idea about what the show could be uh it 
it's semi-qualifies because at the end of episode one, there's a reveal that just makes you blink at it. But it's not the same kind of thing like the end of a race to where you know full well you know what happened and there is a lot of stuff going on. Episode one of this thing has, you know, the, the our main character, you get a flashback of her when, uh, you know, she lost an arm and lost uh, her father and, uh, you know, had a had a bad uh, upbringing and you have your terrified humans inside for all you know is the last fortress uh, the last you know possible uh, 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 safety on the world where they're surrounded by these giant monsters and uh, it feels very attack on titany in episode one because you're like, oh, okay, this person and she wants to become, you know, one of those uh, hunters who goes out to uh, take on the enemy and you get the reveal of everything. You get the transforming fortress. Uh, it punches, a, you know, a giant monster to death. <laughs> you're like, well, this is weird and kind of hilarious and interesting. And so I know what's going to happen. And there's a bit of a reveal at the very end uh, that, like I said, it 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 shows you that there's something more going on, but you have no idea what it is. And there's no way to be ruined on it, because as an anime original, there's no source to pull from. So episode one to episode two had a lot of people going, you know, making guesses as to what's going on. And episode two begins with, okay, here's what's really going on. Uh, so it it's not a redo, but it's an it's adding a very unexpected extra depth to the show. And I assume you, you know, I'm talking about decadence, but I, I guess I didn't technically mention the show by name yet. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. But you've it, been doing that a lot this episode. <laughs> I, I like giving, uh, you know, lead, lead ins to let people try to suss it out themselves. Uh, I, I know this wasn't on your list, but was this one that you were paying attention to at all when it was... No, I have not. I have not paid attention to this one at all. Okay. So, in... Well, now now maybe my re reveal of what actually is going on in episode two will, will make you be interested. Maybe. Uh, because what episode two does is, you know, you've had your foundation of the character, and, and like I said, it has kind of a an attack on Titany sort of feel and a bit of a Godzilla-like kind of feel. You have your fortress, the decadence, and that's where humanity is hidden behind and they use it to defeat these monsters. But the weird reveal at the end of episode one is you just see these cartoony things. They're like chibi, cartoony, very colorful uh things so their art style does not resemble anything that's normal about the rest of the art style of the show and you know there's one or two lines to go by and you're busy wondering wait a minute what what was that just now uh and what episode two reveals is that it's not really attack on titany it's more Aliens doing sword art online and not being trapped in, 
those cartoony, chibi, extraordinarily cute, weird things are aliens. This is just a planet. That's a video game. Uh, so they are the hunters who go in here. They they uh, uh, embody these physical avatars on the world who hunt down these enemies. So the, the reason that the blasted landscape is filled with dangers is that's what they've been seeding the planet with. These crazy monsters, they get bigger. You, you have all these people who are going in. They use these anti-gravity little... Uh, uh, things to fly around and uh, have skill points. They have leaderboards and other stuff. The the humans, those other sentient life, are NPCs. So <laughs> you're, what you think are the, the people and what's going on are revealed to be uh, effectively NPC characters in the you know, the the real-life video game that these aliens are playing on this planet here. They, uh, they, their avatars are sitting in the decadence waiting for there to be raids to happen. There's a big enemy outside, and the, the rest of the humans are largely support staff and things like that, but, you know, they're still sentient creatures there. So the the overall, you have to assume what's going to happen as a result of it, because the overall implications of this are not terribly good. It's like, wait, wait a minute, what the fuck are you people doing? <laughs> <laughs> but their embodiment is these weirdly cute, extremely colorful 2D animation uh, alien dudes. And you're like, but they're... <laughs> So that what they're doing is kind of monstrous, but <laughs> they don't treat it much like that, and you're thrown off by the overall design uh, of it, and you're trying to get a handle on it. And uh, so it, it's one of those where episode two, when you find out what's really going on, it's leading you down not a different path because nothing has changed from the first one. The setup is still there. There's just two or three more layers to it that you didn't think of that suddenly, you know, pushes it out into a different kind of series than you thought going in. So if you, you can think about attack on Titan or something else, uh, Cabinary, another thing like that, where it's like, okay, here's the setup of this, uh, you know, post-apocalyptic world, and then bootstrap that into a a different uh, setup that's hidden from the people, from the perspective of the people there. Of course, later revelations about Attack on Titan might make you think that okay, there's stuff. <laughs> there are other similarities, but but not to this level, and especially not because they carry on the whole difference of art style the entire time uh and you get these you get kind of monstrous things happening to these little chibi cutesy folk as well uh and you get all of the rebellions and uh you know trying to there are people who are involved in clearing out bugs and our main character girl is considered a bug in their system and of course uh the the gooder guy alien folks are starting to you know 
rebel against the system. So there's a bit of matrixiness in here as well. Uh, it's overall kind of a kludge of everything that you don't think would work, but works surprisingly well. And it's a, it's a good ride throughout, but that's that's one of those, I think, that anyone considering a prominent episode to that's not just, okay, here is... Uh, uh, we learn the setup in episode one, and episode two is the uh, uh, the after effect of it. it. It's a bit more like the the reveal is in episode two, uh, but it, it's done in a way that's not hugely surprise, like shocking, surprising. It's done in a way that just makes you go, "Oh, this this is way weirder than I thought." And uh, and start making you consider everything else about the rest of the show. So I think it's, I think it's overall pretty effective, and uh, and I think it would be worth worth checking out from uh, your perspective at some point. But, okay, uh, yeah, I can definitely check it out, and if I don't get to it soon enough, you can always recommend it to me on Expanding Horizons. There you go. So what are what are we ending with from your from your end? So on my end, I am going to go the complete opposite direction of where you are going. I am going to go with a series that in the second episode sets up one of the best, if not the best, running gags ever in anime history. <laughs> okay. Uh, I am going to go with the series Polar Bear Cafe. Because in episode two is when we first start getting the setup of Penguin drunkenly talking about this other Penguin that he has a crush on. Which becomes a running thing throughout the entire 52 episode series that just builds and builds and builds to one of the greatest punchlines ever and it's very unexpected uh we talked about it before on a previous podcast i think during the a to z podcast i think that's when we talked about it i think so. Uh, yeah but this second episode sets up just that great running gag and that right there is just comedy gold to me <laughs> it is one of the best running jokes that I've seen in a long running series. I consider 52 episodes long running series. Um, it's just so well done. And at first, the implication behind it doesn't hit you. It's not until you get to the very end of the series and you think back to how it started so simply and so innocently with you know, just drunken penguin at a flower viewing party talking about a girl that he likes. <laughs> and it just goes on from there and becomes this mountainous joke. And so, yeah, so that's definitely what I'm going with. I know you've watched that series before as well, so you know what everything that I'm talking about right now. I do. I had... Uh interestingly that was one of those series that i was like oh 
what I was trying to consider episode two, but of course a part of it is like, well, I kind of have to rewatch episode two <laughs> to know, or at least skim it. So I think, I think I had skimmed it, but it, there wasn't anything that, uh, that drew me to it. And the, and it's much more, again, you know, the setup from episode one, it's just the episode to me is more of the same. So yeah, I, I wouldn't have, uh, gone with the, uh, you know, drunken penguin joke through line for it. That was, that was not on my radar, but that's a, uh, uh, that's a, that's a good poll for it. And frankly, a good show in general for people to watch. So, Oh yeah. If that's another one of those shows where I'm dying for a physical release, I know that it can't be dubbed because the puns are just too numerous, but the having a physical subtitled release that i could own and have on my shelf would be such a dream come true so anybody who's listening who makes those decisions you know chop chop time is wasting yeah discotheque get to it they're my they're my answer for everything (laughs) basically how it goes but uh I'm sure someone would be willing to give the Polar Bear Cafe uh, puns a try. But, uh, yeah, it does not, does not seem like one of those things that'll do it. I'm, I'm shocked that Chihai Fudu got a dub. Uh, <laughs> I mean, anything can happen if, if that show can get a dub, frankly. Because <laughs> it doesn't feel like a high-selling show the entire you know premise of the competitive element is founded in the japanese language so you can't translate that it is literally impossible to and they don't and i'm like well it's a little weird to have you know the actual all right well you know i guess what it because the the games are not dialogue they can leave that in but it seemed like a weird a weird choice on something to even bother dubbing, whereas uh, Space Brothers would have been a, a better target for it. But again, they, we, we need more people to buy it. Everyone yep. go, go watch, go buy, go demand. It's the only way to make it happen. So, all right, that wraps up our list. Did you have any final comments or anything that you wanted to tack on before we sign off? I don't think so. I think we are good. All right, in that case, thank you very much for joining me for another fun listing discussion. Thanks for listing the discussion. <laughs> and thank uh, you to all of you out there for listening to us for the last hour and a half. We appreciate it greatly. Uh, if you want to hear these podcasts before anyone else, remember they go live on our Patreon for a week first. That's patreon.com slash otaku review. Uh, and then also if you could do us a favor and wherever you do listen to these podcasts, if you could leave us a little rating or a little review, that would be fantastic. That helps us out a lot. Uh, but other than that, we'll be back again soon with another podcast. We're not sure what's coming up next. We have a lot of ideas for March. 
so it'll be interesting to see what gets recorded when but until then have a great night everybody night everybody